This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. birthday boy that's me the birthday boy that's me that's you you're 31 years old how's it different from being 30 so far it's no one cares about the number mm-hmm. you're the first person who's cared about the number i mean you tell yourself that sure no but like no one's like oh ooh, 31 big number huh it's hmm. big change from your life before they're all thinking it though are they? They haven't yeah, talked to me about it. Who have you talked Boy, to? Another another year closer to the grave for well, old Craig. That's true. But it's, it's not <laughs> uniquely close to the grave like 30. 30 has like a, great, you made it. Now start dying. Mm-hmm. Like this is the one where you, this is the decade where your body starts falling apart. Live like you're dying because you are. <laughs> Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And each week, as we whittle away the time that we spend on this mortal coil, we do it talking about books. Mm-hmm. One of us reads a book, talks to the other person about it, and you, the listener, reap the benefits. I say reap because we're all dying. Get ready. Yep. <laughs> so this week... That old reaper's coming. <laughs> listen, listen, shh, listen. On the wind, you can hear it. It's the reaper, he's coming. Sharpen and also you can maybe hear my ceiling fan. Is it my ceiling fan or is it the scythe of the Grim Reaper? You'll never know until it's, it's too late. late. <laughs> so Andrew read a book this week that isn't about death explicitly, I don't think. No, uh, not explicitly. What did you read, my friend Andrew? I read Craig, my bud. I read Bridget Jones's Diary by Helen Fielding. Oh, that's a book I've heard of. Actually, I'm more familiar with the existence of the film. The Renee Zellweger, um, Hugh Grant's Colin Firth joint, yeah. Yes, who also has uh, President Dr. Gaius Count Baltar in it from Battlestar Galactica. Why would you call him that? Who is he in it? Uh, He's a friend. I don't know. I was watching some clips from the film, and he is a guy who is very excited at one point when Colin Firth and Hugh Grant start fighting. He's okay. wearing a red turtleneck, and he's very excited. <laughs> maybe he's the maybe he's the gay friend. I don't just based on that, like based on that description. I wonder, and the fact that it came out in like the early two thousands. Sure. I wonder if he might be the gay friend character. Interesting. Well, I can't confirm or deny that information, but you're going to tell talk to me about this book in a few minutes. Um, we're going to talk about Helen Fielding real quick first, though. Uh, she is. This is what she's known for, for the most part. She's written. Yeah, she did this one, and then another one, and then another one after that. <laughs> yeah, this one's in '96, <laughs> and then one in '99, and then the last one in 2013. Sure, and she has some screenwriting credits for the films. She studied at St. Anne's College at Oxford. She did some writing for the BBC and some other comedy stuff. She started working as a journalist in the 90s, and then that's kind of what led to these books. So she was writing for The Independent, and someone approached her about writing a column about like being 30 and single 
in the UK. And she was like, okay, but like maybe maybe I won't write it about myself. Maybe I'll make up a character and write it anonymously. And then she wrote a bunch of those columns and then that became the book. Um, yeah, and, and and some of that comes across in the novel's structure. Like there is a sort of story through line that's going on, but it, it's mostly delivered in the form of vignettes about Bridget's life. Sure. Um, and, and yeah, all of them are like column sized ish. <laughs> uh, it'll come up over the course of our discussion. I'm sure there was a BBC interview with Fielding where she said that like she had a collection of columns. She wanted to turn it into a novel and Pride and Prejudice, the Colin Firth miniseries was like on BBC at the time. Mm-hmm. And so as she was writing, she kind of just was like, what if Pride and Prejudice also with this character that I had made? What if Pride and Prejudice, but the 90s? But the 90s. Much like Clueless was what if Emma, but the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, or like She's the Man was, um, which one was that one based on? That Was that a Shakespeare? Was that Twelfth yeah. Night? Because the yeah. spider was named Malvolio. <laughs> I think it is Twelfth Night. Uh, yeah, it's inspired by William Shakespeare's play Twelfth Night. So like She's the Man was... Of the 2000s. Yes. Um, when she, what if Twelfth Night but the 2006? In this interview. And Amanda Bynes. Yeah, Amanda Bynes was in that film. Um, she was She was the man. She was the man. What if uh, in this interview that BB, with the BBC that Fielding gave, she also said uh, when talking about stealing her plot from Pride and Prejudice, she said, I didn't think Jane Austen would mind in any way she's dead, which is fair point. Well, yes. It's pretty much my approach to stealing ideas from dead people. Uh, she also said that she had written a pilot for the BBC called 30s Panic, where she had this heroine in the base. That's a working title. I know. <laughs> Thanks. I don't, I don't know if it ever became anything. The basic plot was, as she says, quote, I'm not going to sleep with him. Cut to the next scene and the character sleeping with him. And that was the joke. Okay. And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's already a show that is that and it's called friends yeah. <laughs> or if you're in the uk i guess it's called coupling sure um she says quote i was pretty junior and no one took any notice so it sure. became this character instead uh and this book is like one of the uh first entries into what we might call chick lit um i was coming i was trying to do a little research on that term like the initial people who coined it in 1995 were Chris Mazza and Jeffrey Deschel. I think they were using it. I think they were using it ironically. Chris is a woman, I think. Um, oh, okay, all right. I, I double check because yeah, I yeah. I did a double take there. <laughs> yeah, just good old Christopher and Jeffrey just making uh-huh. broad assumptions about women's writing. No, I don't think that's get true. it. Um, but they broad assumptions. They had asked for a bunch of post-feminist fiction and ironically referred to it as chiclet and then uh since then people have been dealing with that label it's a weird it's one of those things that becomes a commercial label way more than i think a a, like a litter quote-unquote academic label Um, yeah so doris lessing has like written uh against chiclet for like being very reductive of women and 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 we've, we've covered kind of reactions to romance fiction in general not that this is explicitly that um and then i mean this book's relationship with feminism is is interesting to talk about because it's a little it's not a hundred percent clear sure 
Um, and, which I think, which is something we'll talk about for a while, I think. And another author, Jennifer Weiner, has uh, defended Chicklet in general as a like these stories can still be interesting and satisfying, and many parts of them are true in some fashion. So, like, if you can, if it makes you think about whatever your situation is, that doesn't inherently make it wrong. Um, and I think there's a quote from let me just find the quote from Fielding uh, as she's kind of defended this book vis-a-vis feminism and like the humor that she's gotten out of the character that is Bridget Jones. She said, humor is a very powerful tool as we all know for getting through difficult times. And for her being able to laugh at yourself and being able to poke fun at yourself, uh, you are taking ownership over, over your own story. And and that can be a form of power. Um, Yeah. I think that angle also becomes like, why can't people take a joke? Like really like the line between the mm, two is, can mm -hmm. be pretty skinny sometimes. Yeah. That's dangerous. I I hear that. I'd I'd see what she, I see what she means. I think. So there's, there's some other reaction stuff to both the book and the film that I'll save till later, but I did want to just kind of, I wanted to lay that groundwork because I think it's probably going to be part of our discussion and Mm -hmm. we are not originators of this conversation. The book's I don't been... know that we've been originators no. <laughs> of any conversation except like vis-a-vis how old Nickelodeon shows <laughs> intersect with classic literature. That's true, but but when it's when it's a, when it's a topic like this, I want to make sure that there are there are women who that our listeners know that there are women who have come before us that have written way better about this subject than we will be able to cover in this podcast. And you should go like seek those voices out if you find us wanting. Uh, or need ammunition for your email to us when you know if you need to make a point. Uh, sure, that seems that seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Andrew, I think Craig. maybe we will take a quick break. Sounds good. Mini break. A mini break, and when we come back, you're gonna talk to me about this diary. I am, and about Bridget Jones. <laughs> Craig, have you ever had a good idea for a website? I once I once had a very bad idea for a website when I was a kid, and I made it, and I got in trouble. <laughs> so oh, what was it? I was mad at a friend, and I made a website about how mad I was, and I sent it to all my other friends, and then his mom called my mom. That's what happened. <laughs> I learned a lot from that experience about... And and here I am making a podcast where I put my opinions out on the internet every day. Well, but so I, I could have used maybe, help back then. Yeah, how about? like your friend, your friend's mom probably wouldn't have gotten as mad if the hate website that you made had looked a little bit better. And it's if you want to make a great looking website that's so easy that even a hateful child could use it, then you should head over to squarespace.com. <laughs> how would they? I don't. I don't want to. Okay, this is all fiction, but how could they help me have... Uh, it, I was just complaining. How could this website help me complain, Andrew? It can help you complain by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Um, they give you the the ability to customize look and feel, settings, and like products you want to sell. Um, just with a few clicks, you don't have to muck around in code. You don't have to worry about updating anything. You don't have to worry about configuring a whole bunch of stuff. Like it's all pretty much prepackaged and ready to go. Listen, maybe you've grown up, you've matured a little. Now you want to make an I'm sorry website. Okay, that's a good idea. And you want to sell like bookmarks and coasters and stuff about how sorry you are, which you can do with Squarespace. 
And um, they also will give you analytics and search engine optimization and secure hosting that you can use to just make sure that that your apology is getting to the person that you want it to get to. Okay, so if I need to get this apology out to the world now, what should I do? Uh, you should go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code OVERDUE, which will save you 10% off your first purchase. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It does sound pretty good. It Remember, does sound pretty Andrew, good. A dream What's is just that? a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. <laughs> Make it a reality with Squarespace. <laughs> Dear Diary, today Andrew told me about a book and it was interesting. All right, I, that's a little presumptive. <laughs> <laughs> so is this okay, so let's get this out. This book is structured like a diary. It's written like it's structured one. like it's structured like a diary. Um, most days have entries, and you're covering about a year in the life of one Bridget Jones. Who is Bridget Jones? What's her deal? Bridget Jones is a thirty-something woman who is single and lives in the city, and is trying to have it all. She's trying to have a <laughs> professional life, and she's trying to land a man. Okay. Does she like state those goals in the first entry or? All right. Let me read you the first entry because Uh-oh. it starts New Year. It starts with New Year's resolutions. I will not drink more than 14 alcohol units a week. Smoke. Waste money on pasta makers, ice cream machines, or other culinary devices which we'll never use. Books by unreadable literary authors to put impressively on shelves. Exotic underwear. Since pointless as have no boyfriend. Behave sluttishly around the house, but instead imagine others are watching. Spend more than earn. Allow intray to rage out of control. Fall for any of the following. Alcoholics, workaholics, commitment phobics, people with girlfriends or wives, misogynists, megalomaniacs, chauvinists, emotional uh, swear words, or freeloaders, (laughs) perverts. Get annoyed with mum. Uh, get upset over men, but instead be poised and cool ice queen. Have crushes on men, but instead form relationships based on mature assessment of character. Um, complain about anyone behind their backs, but be positive about everyone. Obsess about Daniel Cleaver as pathetic to have crush on boss in manner of Miss P- M- Moneypenny or similar. <laughs> Sulk about having no boyfriend, but de- develop inner poise and authority and sense of self as woman of substance. Complete without boyfriend as best way to obtain boyfriend. I will stop smoking, drink no more than 14 alcohol units a week, reduce circumference of thighs by three inches, i.e. one and a half inches each using anti-cellulite diet, purge flat of all extraneous matter, (laughs) give all clothes which have not worn for two years or more to homeless, improve career and find new job with potential, save up money in form of savings, POS start pension also, be more confident, be more assertive, make better use of time, not go out every night, but stay in and read books and listen to classical music. Give proportion of earnings to charity. Be kinder and help others more. Eat more fiber. Get up straight away when wake up in mornings. Go to gym three times a week, not merely to buy sandwich. Put photographs and photograph albums. Make up compilation mood tapes so can have tapes ready with all favorite romantic, dancing, rousing, feminist, etc. tracks assembled instead of turning to drink sodden DJ style person with tapes scattered all over floor. Form functional relationship with responsible adult. Learn to program video. That's a Which wait. It's the VCR, I think. <laughs> okay, the, the I was gonna there. say like that's an interesting term, but that makes more sense. So okay, so okay. that that does a certain amount of of table setting and tone setting for the rest of the book. Sure. The remainder of the tone that you need to understand is the very next entry, 
is January 1st. It's it's labeled an exceptionally bad start. Um, 129 pounds, but post-Christmas. Alcohol units, 14, but effectively covers two, hour, two days as four hours of party was on New Year's Day. Cigarettes, 22. Calories, 5,424. Oh, boy. Oh, no. So Bridget, Bridget is very well-intentioned and wants to meet her goals, but so very rarely puts in the work that would be required to to do them wow and, but only yeah. but only in the way that like all of us do that right like, yeah, like when you're, yeah when you're setting new year's resolutions like the idea is to i mean if if you want if you actually want to succeed it should be like here's a small like individual incremental thing i can do to better myself that is like not going to require me to fundamentally change everything about my character. Yes. And hopefully it's like quitting caffeine or something like something doable, like a tangibly like beneficial, but also not like a complete uprooting of the person that you are because that, that kind of stuff, like you just are never going to stick to it. Yeah. It, it is on the one hand, very uh, enjoyable to hear her like just, look in the mirror and just decide every just like okay every part of me i could make a small improvement let's just list all those at once and that's all of us right but the mistake as you're pointing out is to assume that you could get all those done at once and get all of those done in a single year and not like lose ground in in a few of them while you pursue another yeah and it also sounds like she backslid real hard on the first day (laughs) She Which... is continually like <laughs> backsliding and not like okay. Um. So so that little like the top of the entry that I read you. So most entries are um are prefaced with this little like one or two sentence thing about like okay here's weight how many drinks I drank how many cigarettes I smoked. It starts somewhere midway, including. Every once in a while, number of lottery tickets bought. Okay, that's fun. That's a cool detail. And you see, and you see little, um, little bits and pieces come up and then drop off as she as she goes through phases. Like there, there is a part of one month where she does give up smoking, hmm. and then it just and, and so cigarettes are zero, and you get a little commentary about how that's going, and then the cigarettes just kind of come back and and. <laughs> That, that's... And then she's and she's dieting and then she gets down to her target weight and then everybody tells her she looks tired. And so she decides I'm never going to I'm going to gain some weight back and I'm not going to care ever again. And then like she does that for a while and then eventually she's back where she started. Yeah, huh. it's it's. I'll say I spent a lot of the book being a little frustrated by Bridget, but I'll also say that I think many of her frustrations mirror everybody's inner monologue yeah or many many people's inner monologue it just sounds like she's a human and like you can get frustrated by her like you would any human not not in a way that like bears particular like it's like not unique um but is actually kind of comfortingly identifiable i don't know sure yeah. Um, I do. I'm interested by the idea that you would like start and maybe obviously we talked about this being from a, a series of newspaper columns where she can kind of use this form as a like welcome back to the next column kind of thing. But the the not having it just be linear first person narrative, but also having it be like check ins on stats is an interesting device 
yeah it's check yeah there's the like the stylistic things it does that i think are pretty successful are the stat check-ins which are their own little like a meta narrative that you like if you just lined up every single one in the book and yeah, read them yeah. all straight in a row it would make a strange little short story about a very self-absorbed person sure <laughs> <laughs> well because you have yeah you have no context on why anything's happening and so you're that but that in and of itself is an interesting story yeah okay but there's still but there's still identifiable narrative threads to track yeah. in those in those little like sub entries sure um and then the other the other voice thing i think she does is that successful is i, I mean you notice the it's not shorthand but you know as you're writing stuff you may not like write every single word out in a sentence to make it like grammatically correct Mm, okay um so like while while bridget does like record specific lines of dialogue in a way that i don't think are particularly diary-y oh that is important to establishing the sort of diary voice as opposed to just like inner monologue voice yeah i saw some reviews where it it looks like she's maybe using like v period for very or something like you said yeah like v, v bad or yeah. v v good yeah in in a way that like if this could easily be a blog from the mid mid 2000s also if you were yeah. writing it 10 years later yeah um, okay so tell me a little bit more about her and and what the overarching story of her is um so she's like to the extent that there is a big overarching story and and before lest it sound like i'm complaining that it's like a pointless book or something i i would say like slice one random year out of your life or my life and like see if there's a like a fulfilling through line (laughs) (laughs) okay like there are some there are some things you can track and some goals that can be achieved but like people don't live by meaningless calendar milestones as much as they would like to fit things into those milestones you know yeah i buy that it's 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 helpful people find them helpful i certainly find them helpful sure sure but they they are not actually if you are they're not any actual bearing on like the way that things happen to you um, right you know and and it's something i think about this is only slightly related but it's uh i see it in even in like sports writing and even in like writing about various industries that do fit to a certain calendar where it's there is an arbitrary calendar that indicates performance or like you talk about it and it's really only so that you can compare one thing to another Mm -hmm. like it's not because the events themselves took that period of time but it's just a useful way to say, okay, well, 2017 for me was this way versus the things that happened to me in 2016. Um, that doesn't mean that like you couldn't have had a really good six months. As she even said, you, I got, I had so much to drink on one day, but it's it bled over into the next day, so it's technically two days, <laughs> and that changes how I think about it. Yeah, I mean, she'll have her relationship with with dieting and with food is really screwed up. Like she'll have days where. She's like, yeah, I ate like 1,200 calories today, which is not a healthy number of calories to eat. No, it's not. And then then, then the next day she'll be like, yeah, I ate 5,000 calories today because I, co- I discovered smoothies and I drank like literally 20 of them. Is that all, is that all played for humor explicitly? I think, I think generally it is, yeah. Like there are – like while those little sub-entries are – almost always there 
the number of diary entries that then like interface with those specific things. Like there are a couple where her being some specific weight is the story or like her sure. quitting smoking is part of the story. But most of the time it's just, you know, it's just life happening and the the, the stats are the stats, but they don't really like mean they don't much. affect the plot of whatever yeah. that scene is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. So she mentioned in that first episode, like, uh, the types of dudes she was and was not interested in. <laughs> and <laughs> what does that noise mean? Bridget, pretty much every man in this book is trash. <laughs> okay. Which is not to say it's being unfair to men. No, it but might just be, to say that incredibly fair to men. Just to say that the men that Bridget is surrounded by and is sometimes attracted to are trash people. Okay, sure, valid. Um, so through the first like half or maybe two thirds even of the book, her main relationship on and off is with this guy named Daniel, who as uh, as I mentioned in that initial entry is her boss at her. At her publishing job that she does. Okay. And he, like, (laughs) he sends her messages on her computer because it's the 90s. So you're just, like, emailing each other, I guess, um, about, like, her skirt and, like, flirting with her and stuff. And she's, because the kind of person that she is, like, she has a crush on him. And so she's like, oh, yeah, he's messaging me i'm gonna decide how to flirt back with him and whatever but really he's a sexual harassment lawsuit i think that's just yeah. waiting to happen and like i, I don't want to i don't want to dive into the the this book and feminism so like right off the bat but that's that's the kind of stuff that is troubling sure i guess well, so like from like the for exper- people who for people who do criticize the book and Fielding as as not being feminist, like I think this is the kind of stuff they're that they're responding about. to. Yeah, sure. But it it could also be, I mean, I guess that it's one of those things where you're running into like a is a representation an endorsement or not kind of yeah, thing. Right. Like because yeah. she can be interested in people who are bad for her, and she can respond in ways that is not productive or whatever. Uh, and we, the reader, might supposed we might be supposed to like laugh at it and go, oh gosh, I hope I don't do that. But maybe you're laughing because you think you have, or maybe you're concerned and now you're going to go think about it. I don't know. Um, yeah, and I I, so I, I don't want to condemn anything about the book out of hand. Like I think some some of it's just the voice, like that. This is the intended voice. Some of it is that this is like twenty year old gender relations, and so naturally there are still going to be some things that are sort of working themselves out. Yeah, there so at this point I I want to drop in this quote here that I found from a 1998 New York Times article um by Alex Kaczynski and she sure. wrote um that what Bridget Di- Jones diary is it's the learned helplessness thrust upon women by advertisers, popular entertainment and yes, women's magazines. She then like reached out to a couple other people, some of whom were defending the book and others um, as she said, Candace Bushnell, whose work inspired Sex in the City, thought that it was fun to read, but ten years out of date. Uh, Bushnell said, "I think it's the kind of thing that would not that would have been written here in the '80s." 
Um, now in Manhattan, this is 1998, if you're over 35 and not married, it's not a big deal. People say you're lucky and don't bother. In England, if you're 30 and you're not married, it's totally weird. It maybe says more about the state of feminism in England. Sure. So does I do that... like as as somebody whose wife is watching Sex in the City right now, I find sure. it pretty rich that, that they would be talking about something that feels ten years out of date. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, but so, how does that like pursuit of a man thing factor in? Because that was something that we even talked about. Oh my gosh, like three years ago when you read Pride and Prejudice was like of that time pursuit of marriage and how a woman can be independent and still have to navigate that is like that's why that book is still read today right yeah um, right. so and, and, like, we, and we took a little flack after we recorded that episode for um yeah for mm-hmm. not talking enough about how like marriage is yeah everybody's obsessed with marriage but also marriage is a means to an end and it's the only way a woman can get status in that society i don't like i'm not a scholar of like 90s british culture to the extent (laughs) that i that i I, like i i I don't think that the context here is the same as the context in prior prejudice but certainly that is that is like part of what's at play here i think yeah so talk me through a little bit of of this of what Bridget is after and, and some of the other dudes that she meets. Cause that, that'll get us in for a little bit deeper in this conversation. She honestly, she honestly doesn't meet a lot of, a lot of guys. So, so the, the, her relationship with her boss is a big one. Okay. Um, and then there's this other guy named Mark Darcy. Oh, I get it. Like if you want to like really just put a pin in, <laughs> in the pride and prejudice thing. Okay. Um, who her mom keeps her mom, who is completely insufferable. Keeps also, trying, a Pride and Prejudice thing. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Keeps okay. trying to set her up with, and like he doesn't seem very interested in Bridget, and Bridget tells herself she's not very interested in him, and so just like for the first part of the book, it just doesn't go anywhere. Okay, but he's like a rich divorcee, and like that—that's the strongest Pride and Prejudice parallel, I guess, is that. Her mom wants her to marry this guy. Sure. And so how do, does that like, does that become, become like a love triangle thing? No. Okay. No. What it's happens? Not, like I think in the movie it might be. I, I've never seen the movie, but just like based on the posters and stuff, I think that's framed a little more explicitly as a love triangle. Um, Stepping back a little bit to like Bridget's preoccupation with men and with marriage, like it is societally driven. It is, I think, driven by her super totally insufferable mother. But like she is preoccupied with finding a boyfriend to the point of distraction, like to the point of letting it define her as a person. Mm, OK, Um, that's an interesting thing. And it's certainly something that I don't have access to what women of, of even our age experience in that like as they are looking for a meaningful relationship. But it's something that I don't even identify with dudes who are out like looking for relationships now. Like you and I are both married. We've been yeah, in Yeah, we won. Re- Suck it, we've everybody. Been, <laughs> we've been in committed relationships for long enough that like I don't know what it is to be out and looking for someone in your late 20s even. And like what 
let alone what that it means now or what that means in the 90s it's very different obviously yeah like i i've experienced and we both have experienced tinder dating through the eyes of some of our single female friends but i have sure. no i no personally clue. have no idea how like even going back like five years even like okay cupid dating culture i just have no understanding of because Suzanne and I met in college where everybody is available and your age and <laughs> yes. has no has very little baggage because they just haven't had time to to gather a whole bunch of it. Yeah, and I can't even imagine folks on the dating scene now like you you to what you said earlier about this this version of yourself that you want to be and the version of the of yourself that you are that like that does ring true in general social media persona stuff, but it rings extra true for how you present yourself in a dating capacity, and that's not something I've ever had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is something I think about with folks, with friends of mine who are still looking for a relationship, or they're not, and they're just out in the world, but like where I am professionally, et cetera, et cetera, I don't have to present that to someone anew like on a like weekly or monthly basis as I am interested in it. I can't even imagine how tough that is because I don't want to do it at all. Yeah. Like I don't even know like the just cause because maybe because we're both married or maybe just because we are friends with people who are roughly our age. And so we're all in the same general like stage of our lives. Sure. But I feel like most friends that like friends that Susan and I have made, since we moved to Philly have been like couple friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can't even, I can't even imagine like what it is like for a single person, like coming and hanging out with a bunch of couple friends all the time. Like maybe it's fine. Like probably it's fine, but I don't know if there's, yeah, I know. I don't know if there is a layer of, of that that makes it like in some way weird or different or whatever. So that, that gets me to a question that I wanted to ask you about Bridget. Like, does she have a circle of friends who are pursuing similar goals? Does she have a circle of friends who she is envious of? Where is she has a, she has a circle of friends who are single or like in relationships that are continually in, in various states of flux. Okay. <laughs> um, she has her friend, her friend, uh, Jude, is in a relationship with a guy who Bridget refers to as Vile Richard because he's not he's not great. <laughs> that um, doesn't sound like a nickname for a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Sharon and I were filled with remorse and self-loathing for not advising Jude simply to get rid of Vile Richard because he is vile. <laughs> okay. And then Sharon is a like a quote unquote strident feminist friend. Who is always like, yeah, men are the worst and they're all horrible. And we women, we women are only vulnerable because we are a pioneer generation daring to refuse to compromise in love and relying on our own economic power. In 20 years time, men won't even dare start with a, a word. And man, another word I can't say because we will just laugh in their faces. Man, I wish that were true. Yeah. That would be. Good. I wish it were true. But like. I don't know how the book wants me to feel about Sharon. I think Sharon mm. is rad. Like Sharon is just out here telling it like it is. Yeah, sure. But she is not the main character, though. No, she's so not the main character. Something. And and Bridget is like you know as a feminist, whatever. But also, I'm going to be so preoccupied with men and with dating that it consumes my entire life. Mm. And like far be it from me to to say that there is one kind of feminism or a right kind of feminism. Like I think a lot of 
a lot of what feminism is about is just like your ability to do whatever you want. And some of that needs to be like getting yours. Yeah. Like that that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it that, is, that's why I don't want to come out like I don't I don't want to yeah. say like a lot of people have said this is like an anti-feminist work or something like that. I don't think that's necessarily true. OK. Just that Bridget's relationship with the the movement is is muddled at best. I think. You mentioned did you mention earlier a gay friend? Did you mention like a, another person in their circle? Yeah, his name is uh, Tom, I believe. OK. It's a T name. I want to say it's Tom. And Tom is the person who Bridget like calls up when she's drunk and needs advice. And he normally gives her like pretty good advice. And that does that like I that feel like a does he feel like a device or like a a fully fleshed out character or anywhere in between? He feels about as fleshed out as anybody like all, all these people are mostly preoccupied with their own lives and their own concerns. Okay. Like, Insofar as like he is a little bit vain and most of what you hear about him is like how he counsels Bridget through relationships and how he fares in his own relationships. Like he is as fleshed out as any of her other friends. are. Sure. Sure. Um, um, how does the like boss thing work out? Like it does doesn't that... go great. So they <laughs> date for a little while and then Bridget like comes back to like see to see him at a time that he wasn't expecting and he was like oh i'm on the phone with work like you shouldn't come up like it's like just don't come up it's fine and bridget becomes convinced that there's another woman up there and like they have a bunch of like little sitcomy foibles where like she's trying to open closets to find somebody and he's trying to play it all cash and then she notices that the door to the roof is open and then she's like, man, I really, I need some fresh air. I should, I could go up on the roof. And so she goes up on the roof and there's like a fully nude oh dear. statuesque woman up there. Oh no. And then Daniel tells her like shortly after that, yeah, I'm going to get married to her. Her name Whoa. is Suki and Bridget calls her pukey. Oh, Bridget. <laughs> okay, that's, that's pretty the funny. the thing that redeems the book for me is that Bridget's voice is pretty fun. Even though like, so her, like she is, she is 30 something, but she like can't cook. She is late to everything always. Mm. Um, Like, I like sometimes I'm just like, Bridget, that's rude. Stop being oh, so rude. Sure. Mm. Respect people's time. Show up on time. Don't take three and a half hours to leave the house. Like Bridget, come on. Okay. So sometimes you get a little bit frustrated with Bridget, but like mostly, sometimes she calls someone pukey, and you're the like, book, okay. the book is like carried by her her voice, and that is mostly successful. So that is like that is why I think the book resonates with people is because it is just fun to read. Sure. So what happens after that? Does she? go running to Mr. Darcy? Does she... No, she What happens with her job? So she leaves for another job, and so you get a little... You get a few foibles. Like, she, it's a it's a TV job, and she makes a couple of mistakes when trying to, like, record new segments, but then eventually hits hits her stride and starts to do okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the background... Like, one of the major things in the background this whole time is that her parents split up, and her mom starts dating this dude and be just like being really insufferable in her uniquely insufferable way. And then it turns out that the dude is a scammer who's like getting all of her friends to give him money for timeshares that don't exist. 
And then Ooh. they like, and then Bridget's mom comes to her and is like, hey, can I just have a couple hundred pounds so we can go to Portugal? <laughs> what? And Bridget's like, I don't, okay, I guess. And then it turns out that that he is wanted for fraud and oh, like dear. screwing a bunch of people over and that her mom might be a, cr- a criminal. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> because she's like inadvertently like aiding this guy. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, I think that's another, there's like, if you, there's a couple articles out there, Bustle has one, a couple other like literary focused websites have ones that like chart through a bunch of the things that line up between this book and Pride and Prejudice. And that's definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as, is there any sort of conflict between her boss and Darcy or? They virtually never meet, except we do find out toward the end that Daniel had sex with Darcy's wife who he's divorced from like two weeks after they got married. Oh, so like there's an implied history there, but the, on the page, they almost never interact. Okay. That's fair. So it's, it's never a triangle. Like, so by the time you get to, toward the end of the book and Bridget actually realizes, Oh, Hey, Darcy, is actually actually seems interested in me and i thought he was a cold fish who didn't care for me this whole time mm-hmm. oh hey darcy is a high-powered lawyer and he got me an exclusive interview with somebody who none of the other news networks could interview mm-hmm. oh hey my mom's in trouble and darcy is a high-powered lawyer still and he's gonna like go and help make sense of all this stuff like by the time she discovers that darcy is a cool dude and that darcy also likes her Daniel is pretty much out of the picture. Okay. Okay, sure. Um, but all that kind of sounds like standard Mr. Darcy stuff also. So, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Um, and then do we get like a big resolution to that relationship? If if Does she end up with Darcy? Yeah, so by the end, let me find the little epilogue here. Um, okay, cool. So, uh Jan, uh, Tuesday, 26th December, um, have finally realized the secret of happiness with men and it is with deep regret, rage, and an overwhelming sense of defeat that I have put it in the words of an adulteress, criminal's accomplice, and G-list celebrity. Don't say what, say pardon, darling, and do as your mother tells you. So that's referring to her mother who is an adulteress <laughs> and a oh criminal's gosh. accomplice and a G-list oh, celebrity. No. January to December, a summary. Alcohol units, 3,836. Poor. <laughs> <laughs> Cigarettes, 5,277. Calories, 11 million. And For the whole not, year, sure. Uh, yeah, 11 million, uh, 90,265. Repulsive. Uh, weight gain, 74 pounds. Weight loss, 72 pounds. Excellent. Total lottery <laughs> tickets purchased, 98. Total lottery tickets winnings, 110 pounds. Uh, total lottery tickets profit, 12 pounds. Yes, yes, have beaten system while supporting <laughs> worthwhile causes in manner of benefactor. Uh, it just continue. It continues in that vein for a little bit. Uh, boyfriends two, but only, but one only for six days so far. Nice boyfriends one. Number of New Year's resolutions kept one. VG, which is very good. Very excellent good. year's progress. She concludes. Okay. Okay. So, what? What? Hmm, I do like all the stat tracking. I I have like I I find it so. I don't find it like neurotic to fault. Like I actually find it. I don't do it myself, but I get it. Yeah. Like I get like 
because I do like get on scale every morning just to, like keep an eye on stuff, you know, and um, I get like you fluctuate around and it's like in the, like she gained 74 pounds and lost 72 pounds. Like it's the same. Like she's she has yeah. ended up on average in the same spot. But that, that doesn't started. mean. But it doesn't with, mean that like yeah. day to day the changes don't make you like don't make your day just start out really good or really bad. Yeah, and and that's also you know like and again saying that that it is, uh, that type of work can be tougher and it is often like put upon women even when they didn't think to do it in the first place. Um, but that's that is I just listen to like oh yeah I get that I hear that. I hear mm-hmm. thinking through how many things you wish you hadn't done and trying to weigh it against the things that you're proud that you did. Yeah. <laughs> even if they're, even if it's like kind of minutia for your day, but like a lot of us do that stat tracking. Well, I have never yeah, tracking those stats. Sometimes is just a way to assert control in a yeah, world where sure. sometimes you don't feel like you have control over a whole lot of things. I have never kept a diary. I had a live journal that you did have a live journal. We both had live, live journals. journals. We both had live journals. Um, but I never like I've never sat and like m- managed to sit with like, a book and like write into a book every day. No, Are you trying to find your live journal right I'm now? I'm trying to find you your live journal, which is still up. I made all my entries private. I thought I made them private the other day. No, I'm maybe... defo reading a bunch of stuff about maybe how your you... sad Miles Davis died. Maybe you don't? Huh? Maybe, maybe I don't. don't read those? No, Paul Newman's death. I'm sorry. Miles uh, that Davis did make me sad. You could read that one. That would be fine. Uh, yeah, okay. So I'll just bookmark this and uh, save it for later. Okay. Um, or maybe I'll like <laughs> embed it in the MP3 metadata no, for this episode. Don't do that. <laughs> But like that was a weird. I went back. I was looking at that before this episode. I was like, "This is weird. This is I me do, from ten years ago." And I, it's like, like people's what is it? Diaries now are Facebook, but those are like public facing, and in, in a way that like social media in general is public facing in a way that a private diary never was. I don't yeah. know that it replaces a diary for for everybody. Like Suze doesn't keep a diary, but she does keep like log books where she just writes like in general. Like here's what here's a big thing that happened today like i saw a sure play, sure or i yeah. like i took a vacation day or yeah you know sure um, um yeah no i've never really done that and again yeah because now like social media is, is is very different and it can replace that impulse even though if i don't know that it actually does the same good that that impulse can maybe do well for people. even because it is public facing like i went back um a couple months ago and just deleted every tweet that I had made before January 1st, 2016. <laughs> That's right. You did do that because I just like, to some extent you don't need, like, I don't know what it is about our current situation that makes me think about people going through my old tweets and finding things that contradict the things I'm saying now. But I just decided that people <laughs> don't imagine. need to be, I just decided people don't need to be able to do that for stuff to, that I yeah. said. And so I got rid of all of it. Sure. But like it, it's all yeah it's all part of a public curation thing like it's it's I don't want people to be able to track my development as a person because it's too easy just to take that stuff out of context whereas with like a with a diary I think even even though this as a book does not have 
a million super strong through lines, even though it is like primarily a series of vignettes, it does show like how Bridget is developing. And if I read like five or six of these in a row, you would get a, a sense of how she was changing or growing or not. Yeah, I guess I did want to ask like, does it feel voyeuristic? Does it feel like she is writing to an imagined reader? Does it like uh, let's assume Bridget was a real person? She's not, but like the voice of the book is. I, mean, I think it Helen for... Fielding has admitted to a certain amount of yeah, yeah, autobiographicalness. But so, <laughs> sure. so there, there is something where it's like there's it's a performative newspaper column disguised as a diary, or does it feel like it actually is kind of voyeuristic and and in someone's space? I mean, some of it is performative, and, and like I like I said, like complete blocks of dialogue and and little details that might not get recorded in a like there is pro- there is contextual information where like you probably wouldn't put it in a diary because you just would assume if you ever went back and read it again yourself, which is theoretically why you're writing it down in the first place, like you wouldn't need that extra information. Sure, 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 sure. Um, to know like oh hey this is what exactly i think of vile richard or whatever <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, i know okay. how i feel about vile richard because i call him vile richard yeah and you alluded to that earlier yeah but now voyeuristic isn't the right word it 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 feels performative because it's a novel and because yeah novels are like they are intended to be read by somebody but it doesn't yeah it doesn't feel like you're reading a bunch of stuff that bridget like it, it does sound like if you actually knew Bridget, you probably would be able to pick up on most of the stuff that's going on in her head. She's mm. not exactly okay. the toughest nut to crack <laughs> personality wise. Okay. Um, I don't think I had. Yeah. Any that's like, questions. that's most of what I've got. I, I, I did. It's like sometimes when you're watching something like some like reality TV, sometimes like The Bachelor, like I know we have both watched The Bachelor, and sometimes, not so much in the last couple of years, but sometimes you just want to shut off that part of your brain that's like, what about intersectionality and stuff, though? Yeah. Because you just want to like enjoy a thing as like empty calorie entertainment value. Yes, and uh, we've all been doing the work of realizing when you can't do that, yeah, or, or how often you shouldn't be. But and, yes, and so I'm not. I'm not saying you need to do that to enjoy that book. But I'll just I'll say that aside from those things where I was like, man, she really has a whole lot of herself wrapped up in what men think of her, mm. and that sucks. Like, not it doesn't suck that she's doing it, but it sucks that she has been conditioned to do that. Yeah, like if your friend Bridget came to you and was like, I need to talk to you about some stuff, you might be like, whoa, Bridget, this stinks. I'm sorry that this is happening. Yeah, right. Okay, um, sure. But yeah, the, the voice is fun. It's um, It reads super quick, and it's it's pretty enjoyable, I think. Okay. And cool. there, there are fun, there's some fun turns of, of phrase, like singletons and smug marrieds. Yeah, can you just, I've, I saw allusions to that. Can you just unpack her little vernacular a little bit before a we single, go a singleton is just a person who's like in their 30s and single and they don't want to be like bothered about it and smug marrieds are people who invite singletons out to like dinner parties and then just ask them why they don't have a boyfriend oh that seems all mean. the time 
that's their that's where their smugness comes from. Hmm. Are there any marrieds that aren't smug? Not that we really Meet learn about. In the book? No. <laughs> okay. Well, sure. there's a, there's a a uh, married person in the book whose husband cheats on her, and she talks about how like yeah, I've got a toddler and a three year old. And he feels like I'm just sitting at home all the time while he goes out and earns all the money. But like, this is a lot of work and Mm. it sucks for him to just like come home and sit and like expect nurturing from me when I like am, am devoting so much of my life to this other stuff. And Bridget, I'm so jealous of you. You can just go out and do whatever you want. And Bridget is, it's, it's a real grass is greener sort of thing where Mm. Bridget may be like stops thinking about herself for a second and, and thinks about like what it is, what it is like once that like a new relationship glow wears off and yeah, and that sure. kind of thing. But yeah, this is just another example of the trash bag men who crop up in this book constantly. Great. That's a good, that's a good collection of men. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, the listener have uh, some thoughts about this book that you want to share with us, you can, write us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. I'd be particularly interested to hear from folks who, you know, have either watched this movie or read this book recently after like experiencing it before and whether or not it holds up for you, or if you read it back in the nineties and you had a strong reaction either way, um, that would just be interesting to hear about. And if you have a further questions, we do have a Q and a episode that we're recording in a few days. So you yeah, can and people shoot been, those in. People have been sending in some good cues and I'm hoping we can come up with some good A's. Uh, so you can also use uh, social media, not live journal, use Twitter or Facebook at overdue pod um, <laughs> to send us questions or let us know what you think about the episode. Uh, so I have some folks to thank who reached out to us on social media this week, including Michael Lawrence, Thorn silver, Mary Kate, Caleb, Valerie, Aaron, Aaron, Erica, Chris, Fox, Betsy, Mr. J, Rachel went to Adeline, Patty, Julie, BC, Graham, Jennifer, and Becky. Thanks, y'all. There are others, but mostly those are Q&A folks that I'm just like saving for a separate list. So, Andrew, if people need to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is an internet website that has a bunch of information about Overdue Podcast. Um, we've got links to iTunes and Google Play and all kinds of things you can use to subscribe to the show. Um, we've got a link to a new listener page that you can go to if you want some episodes that we're proud of to recommend to people who are trying to get into the show. Um, the main thing I want to draw some attention to this week is our Patreon project. If you donate at the $5 a month tier, you get to throw a book on our stack. I don't remember. Was this a Patreon book or is this just one that we wanted to do? This was one we wanted to hit to balance out September. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, usually uh, we will you know, we get listener recommendations all the time, and we love it, and we do seriously keep every single one in a Google Doc so we can scroll through it if we're trying to um, to make sure that we're not just reading all white dudes or you know we're not reading all one style of book when we're trying to program the show. We we refer to it a lot. But if you donate at that five dollar tier, we will move your book to the top of the list, which means we will definitely read it and not just like maybe read it if the mood strikes us. <laughs> <laughs> and if you donate at the ten dollar tier, you get to sit in on bonus episode recordings like the Q and A one that we're going to do. I think we've emailed those donors yeah. to let them know the details. But yeah, you get to come and hang out with us and ask us questions live, which is pretty cool. That's that's been fun every time we've done it. And I uh, really appreciate just people who decide to support our show with American dollars. 
If you're listening to this in the week of its release, we will be putting up our Spooktober schedule. Ooh, it's gonna be shortly. So spooky guys. Um, and I'll just give you a, a a teaser. I completed 99 Fear Street by R.L. Stein for next week, so we'll be talking about that next Monday. And we also another teaser. We're going to be recording another Ghost Stories and Urban Legends episode. Okay, great. Part two. We don't know when it'll happen, but it's going to happen. But it's going to happen, and it's going to spook you, so get ready. All right, everybody. Until next week, thanks for listening, and try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.